0: Greetings, fellow captains, and welcome back to Rank Amateur. On this episode of Rank Amateur, we're not really featuring a ship, per se, because I've kind of run out of ships, um, or at least ships that I'm uh, fairly good at and that I am able to confidently say that this is the way you should play them and uh, that I've had success playing them in such a fashion. So, what will we be doing to replace this? Well, I'll tell you what we'll be doing. What we'll be doing is a two part episode. The first part is going to be about the SMS Blucher, uh, and that is one of the Admiral Hipper class uh, German heavy cruisers that was sunk early in World War II by some Norwegians hiding behind a gun emplacement. Um, and then the second part is going to be how to kite properly, because I notice a lot of people either A just don't kite at all, and B B, don't kite correctly. They'll kite and then they'll swing way too far uh, out broadside and they'll get slapped by a battleship and sunk. So while I'm no, like, complete expert on kiting and it does vary greatly by every ship that you're playing um, or by every different ship that you play... I will show you some basic guides to vastly improve your kiting from going uh, and sinking right as soon as the going gets tough on your flank to being able to survive and hold and delay a flank for most of the battle. And without further ado, let's get into it. Before we do that, we are going to go into the World of Warships news, and honestly, not too, too much has happened. Um, There hasn't been a major update or anything like that. Uh, The news is fairly quiet. They have debuted some new ships, most notably uh, the Hyuga and the Vampire 2, or HMAS Vampire 2. Um, The Hyuga is, is a decent ship, actually. It's a fairly good ship. It's essentially... It's kind of like a Fuso with a reload booster is what it is. So it can, in certain situations, arguably be overpowered. But it's really not that overpowered considering it's kind of just a Fuso at Tier 7 or is it Tier 8? I forget that. Um, It is, in fact, Tier 7. And um, there's a... Yeah, it's more effective at long range. And there's some missions and stuff that you can do to earn camouflages for it. And that's uh, that's pretty neat. I say that Hyuga probably probably a pretty good pick for those of you who enjoy your uh, well battleships and Japanese battleships. This is a very solid battleship, and I'm happy to see that um uh, that they're implementing it. It's a what it is is an issi class ship, so it's not the ISSI. it's the ISSI or it's, or it's the sh- sister ship before it was converted into a, a like half aircraft carrier, half battleship sort of thing. And, uh, the HMS, uh, or HMAS Vampire 2, uh, what you need to know about that, it's a daring with a crawling smoke screen, that's what it is. Um, it's kind of, it's basically a cut and paste, I believe it does have slightly better DPM, although that's just when I was checking on it in the public test server, maybe they have nerfed it since then. Um, they did come out with a pretty epic looking trailer, uh, to replace the one that was made in, uh, 2015, it is epic it features the song uh, legends are made, and uh yeah it's it's pretty epic um the art department definitely deserves uh they definitely deserve a wait or uh wage raise after that uh they should make a movie or something I I'd, I'd totally pay to see that um and the last major piece of news is uh high school fleet is returning to world of warships. you can now buy some of the ships that have been gone for a bit um you can buy the h s f garage Spey. Um, the, HSF Herikaze, uh, the HSF uh the HSF Hei'ai or Hai or something like that, and then all sorts of different, you know, uh, all sorts of different camouflages for Yamato and your Musashi and all sorts of things. Uh, and for those of you who don't know what High School Fleet is, that's uh, some sort of anime. I don't watch it, but uh, clearly it's very powerful or very popular. Um, has a large presence in this sort of audience for them to do that. Also, there's some uh, Kings of the Sea finals, if you're into that or not. And uh, there's a new mission. Uh, it's the Battle of the Coral Sea, um, because in early May 1942, the, well, those of you who know history, the Battle of the Coral Sea was uh, the first major Pretty much the first major naval engagement between the Imperial Japanese Navy and the U.S. Navy. And the first one that was fought exclusively with aircraft carriers. And um, I believe that was when the Lexington was sunk. And so, yeah, some major blows inflicted on the U.S. Navy there. That was, I believe, a U.S. It was either a draw or a U.S. loss. I I just took AP tests, so my brain's a bit mushy right now. Um, And the mission is that you... Uh, over any number of battles, earn 25 aircraft shot down or shot down by fighter ribbons, which really, with aircraft carriers in play, shouldn't be too much of an issue, especially if you get focused down. Um, you have some ship restrictions, and that's only that they you have to play from tier 5 to 10, um, and you have to play them in random ranked co-op or scenario, or you can earn, uh, ten destroyed ribbons in Japanese or American Tier 5 to 10 ships and the same battle restrictions, and that'll get you four storm wind camouflages in ten November Echo set to seven uh, signal flags, which are the, uh, they boost the AA power of your ship. Um, that is it for news in World of Warships. Let's go to listener mail. Uh, I've gotten one email so far over the course of the three weeks that I've been absent, um, and that's because of AP testing and things like that. It's just been really, really busy. And that is from, oh goodness, I'm going to have a, a go at pronouncing his name. He's Norwegian, and that's not a language that meshes well with English. Um, I think it was Torpjord Mao. Um, and he says, "Hi, I'm a fan of your podcast. I love to listen to the backstory of ships we play in World of Warships. Uh, thank you very much for that. I enjoy making the podcast, and I'm glad to see that people like listening to them." And he goes on to say that he thinks that an interesting ship that would make for an interesting podcast is the uh, German cruiser Blücher and the Battle of Dornbacht Sound. And uh, he says, Being from Norway, I've always known about it, and I think the story about it should be better known in general, as it is a good one. And I'm going to actually save the rest of his email, because it tells the story of the Battle of Dorbach Sound, and the repulsion of the German invasion of Norway, or at least the uh, delay of the German invasion of Norway. And uh, that's the content for my episode, so I shall save that for uh, when we get to the history section of this podcast, which is coming up right after the break. All right, and welcome back to Rank Amateur. You're back just in time. We're about to get ready to go and learn about the Battle of Dorbach Sound. I should actually look up how to pronounce that. And that's basically how you pronounce it. I've just verified with Google Translate that is roughly how you're supposed to pronounce it. I know the uh, Norwegians who listen to me are probably gonna be like, no, 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 that's not exactly how you're supposed to accent it. And uh, yeah, I know, but I'm I don't speak Norwegian, so I'm sorry. Um, so ba- bit of background on the German heavy cruiser uh, Blücher. It's uh, Admiral Hipper class cruiser. It is one of the is like the the. The second ship to break the Treaty of Versailles, the first one obviously being the Apple Hipper itself, uh, and it was uh, one of the prides of the German navy, uh, the Bismarck had not been built yet, and uh, it immediately became a flagship of the uh, of the operation of Russerbung, and that was the operation to invade Norway, and is that Russerbung or Veserbung? I'll, I'll say it Veserbung, because that sounds more German. I don't know. Um, and that mission was to capture uh, Oslo, Norway, uh, specifically. Uh, it was just to capture Norway in general. Um, and the ship was filled with over 1,000 men, including hundreds from the 136th, or 163rd excuse me, Infantry Division. Uh, and their job was to disembark upon arrival in Oslo to take the city on foot, which was kind of a risky move, but Germans knew that they had superior uh, firepower. Uh, she was accompanied by uh, Luzzo, uh, a heavy cruiser, which was of the Deutschland class. And that's the, the same class that the Admiral Spee is um, a member of. Uh, and the light cruiser Emden, as well as multiple smaller escort ships. And they um, passed through the Dorbach Narrows on the night of April 8th, 1940, uh, the nearest body of water en route to Oslo. And the seas remain oddly quiet as a Norwegian commander Bringer, or Bringer Ericsson stood watch on the Ostenberg Fortress. And he's his job was basically to look out for enemy ships. And he's like, all right, so how am I going to do that? Do we have, like, rangefinders or something like that? And the Norwegian government's like, you know what? You see out there? See the sea? If you see ships out there, we want you to shoot at them. And he's like, okay. And then um, they're like... Here's some men. They were drafted seven days ago, and we want you to look out for some Germans. We think there's some Germans out there. And um, the German flotilla had initially been undetected because they had no range-finding equipment. It was just uh, manual sighting. And uh, a, a, a patrol boat, the Pole 3, uh, or yeah, the Pole 3, uh, Norwegian patrol boats, uh, had notified them that there were multiple unidentified contacts approaching the port. And Erickson, uh couldn't sound the alarm before the uh, patrol boat was hit by a German torpedo. The Germans were aware that they were spotted by the patrol boat and tried to sink it before it could get the word out. However, it did get the word out, and Erickson sounded the alarm, and he ordered that all lights be immediately extinguished, including those of lighthouses, to make the fortress invisible. Remember, there's, like, trees and stuff all around this, so if there's no lights, you cannot see it, even if you had a rangefinder, because it's a fortress, not a ship. It sits on the land. Uh, Your rangefinders, radar, everything like that is just going to bounce off the land, and you're not going to see anything. Uh, So the German ships are literally sailing by, sub one kilometer range and they're just looking at these ships as they're about to invade their country sailing by trying to figure out what they're gonna do against this flotilla and they're basically just counting them to see if they're like friendly or not because if you have a lot of ships chances are they're probably coming to invade um and the german ships were under strict orders not to fire unless they were fired upon Which also questions the uh, German torpedoing of the Pole 3, but, you know, whatever. And the Norwegians, well, let's just say the Norwegians, they didn't have the same orders. So Berger Eriksson, the commander of this emplacement, had not been given uh, clear orders, and he didn't know if those ships that were approaching were Allied or German ships. And, I mean, officially, legally, Norway was indeed neutral at this point. They were not supposed to shoot at anybody yet. But, um, it was... Realistically, they were part of the Allied powers. They weren't going to join Germany. Um, they knew what Germany was doing and what they were planning on doing, so they were not going to join them, because they knew they were just going to get taken over later. So, push is starting to come to shove right now. And the ships in the flotilla, uh, coincidentally, stop just outside the fortress. Just outside the fortress. Just under a kilometer away. Like, you... You could shoot, and you shouldn't miss. Doesn't mean you do not miss, because you remember you have a crew that's only been uh, in the force for seven days, uh, but you shouldn't miss. It would be very hard to miss. And uh, when he realized how many ships were in the flotilla, flotilla, Ericsson ordered that the lead ship be fired upon, and the Norwegians were like, Wait a second dude, we're, like, neutral in the war. That's kind of, like, not cool. And he's like, either I'll be decorated or I shall be court-martialed. Fire! <laughs> and um, so they're like, okay. And then they open fire at around 0- 0400 in the morning, and the Germans were like, wait a second, there's a fort there. And the German ships then started moving again uh, to proceed deeper into the fjord so that they could reach Oslo by dawn and avoid being shot at and um the norwegians realizing this and they were going to lose their chance turned down their searchlights gave away their positions or at least they thought they gave away their positions and started f- firing even more upon the um the blucher and the blucher they realized once they turned on their searchlights was actually really really close so they um, used their twenty-eight centimeter guns, their two hundred eighty millimeter guns of the Oscarsburg Fortress, um, and two shells made contact. The initial shot hit the Blucher in the port side, right above the bridge, knocking the main rangefinder out of alignment. Minor damage, but not fi- but um, uh, certainly fixable. The second shell, uh, they were not so fortunate. The second shell hit the hangar, and what do hangars have in them? Well, they have aircraft. Well, what do aircraft use to fly? Fuel. And so this aviation field, this high-grade German aviation field ignited, caused a fire, which spread into the explosives um, that were being used to, uh, like, for the invasion force, they were using bombs and things like that, grenades. Those explosives uh, exploded, tore a huge hole in the armor belt, and then all of a sudden, two torpedoes from, uh, or yeah, two torpedoes from a pigeon shore torpedo battery made contact with the port side. They hit near the same spot and knocked out all but one of her boilers and most of her power, making that her uh, very ineffective at maintaining a fight. Although she suffered this damage, she continued to trudge on towards Oslo, albeit at reduced speed, and the Germans were still unable somehow to figure out where the gunfire was coming from. Uh, and the uh, Blücher soon got out of range of the Oscarsburg Fort, and they changed targets to the remaining German, sh- German ships that were uh, passing by. But even after the Blücher had been severely damaged... She was still trudging on, trying to desperately control the fire that had happened in the aircraft hangar, but uh, the German sailors quickly realized that there was no hope for the Blucher. The Blucher was barely moving. She had a ferocious fire raging, and at 0450... Uh, Blücher dropped her anchors and basically just kind of gave up. The Germans' soldiers suddenly started singing in German, and this was the first time that the Norwegians realized that they were actually fighting the Germans. Uh, They didn't know who they were fighting, they just knew that they were fighting someone who was trying to come attack. And at this point, the Blucher was listing 20 degrees, and you could say that she was pretty much doomed. Uh, The fire raging spread to the ship's ammunition storage, to the crew's dismay, and the ammunition stowage ignited and exploded and ripped a hole in the ship and basically almost ripped it in half at the bow. Um, And uh, everyone was ordered to abandon ship. The ship... Began or was just exploding and kind of just out of control. Fire was everywhere, and the ship started rolling over to port and sinking. And then the sailors, who didn't really have time to throw down some life rafts, began swimming to shore because they were that close. Um, However, oil was now leaking into the ocean and ignited with a further explosion and fire and killed several hundred soldiers that were swimming to safety which is a terrible, terrible way to die. A mix between drowning and being burned. I just i can't imagine that. And uh, this delayed the German advance into Oslo, just enough that the members of the Norwegian parliament and royal family and the gold reserves could be evacuated from the city before the Germans arrived, uh, mostly because there was a huge heavy cruiser blocking their way and they had to kind of rescue their dudes, their sailors, from uh a certain well actually not a certain because um they weren't it was norway they weren't really going to capture them and especially since they were now basically german territory but that was the end of the uh was it SMS? I always forget the name, the naming convention they have for German ships. Uh, Blucher, and uh, what's even more embarrassing of a defeat for the Germans is the fact that this ship was sunk by a fortress that was over a hundred years old, armed with weapons that had been stationed there for almost a half century, and by soldiers who were merely cadets. They hadn't even been on the. Uh, they haven't been conscripted for a month yet. That's literally like pulling a dude off a street, teaching him how to fire a weapon in a week, and then expecting him to take on one of the most advanced warships in the world and sink it. That is, that is no, no less than amazing for the Norwegians and no less than horrific for the Germans. But even with this loss, they managed to power through Norway. And once Norway was liberated, or actually not once, but after Norway was liberated in 1953, uh, they removed the screws, which are the propellers from the ship. Uh, it does lie 210 feet below the surface in the um, uh, Drobak or Drobak Narrows today, still. Um, but it had 100,000 cubic feet of oil on board when it sank. And that oil was in tanks that were burst and oil has been leaking out. So, in the 90s, they went in to try and um, take some of this oil out. It was leaking nearly 13 gallons a day. Um, So, the Norwegian government in 1994 sent divers, to, or deep-sea divers, to the wreck, and they drilled holes in the side and sucked out a few thousand tons of oil. Um, But there were still some tanks on the port side no starboard side that they couldn't reach because of how the ship was laying it kind of laying basically capsized kind of on a cliff in the um or or, yeah drobach narrows and uh just part of it was inaccessible they couldn't get to it uh the ship is too big to take off the the cliff and they just couldn't get to it so it still does leak oil to this day much like the uss arizona in uh pearl harbor and not only did they take The screws and the oil, the Norwegian government also took a trophy. And that was the Blücher's anchors. And, I mean, anchors are kind of like taking the head of a deer and mounting it on a wall. Or like the antlers or something. I guess it's more like taking the antlers of a deer, the rack of it, and mounting it on the wall for to like symbolize your kill. Like if you have this huge rack on your wall with like a 15-pointer deer or 16-pointer so, deer, people are like, wow, you actually like killed that thing. That's that's really neat, man. You must be a really good hunter. Uh, that's basically what the Norwegian government did. They're like, all right, we're gonna take the anchors, we're gonna display it right outside our government office, and be like, yeah, we sunk this German ship, um, and that is. Uh, I find pretty interesting and uh, borderline funny. And they also took one of the frames for the seaplanes and put it in a museum, which I guess is uh, reasonable. It's a, what was the seaplane? It's an Arvado 196, or no, Arado 196 aircraft. But that is the end of the story for the HMS, or no, not the HMS, the SMS Blucher. And we will be back with a guide on how to kite properly. Alright, welcome back to Ranky Amateur. We're about to get on to the second half of today's episode. It's a bit of a shorter episode, and I do apologize for that, because I kind of ran out of ships to review. um, That I'm confident in that I can say, yes, this is just the way you should play your ships. So we're going to do a general guide on how to kite. Um, I see way too many people, particularly in cruisers, that don't understand the principles of kiting. And what is kiting? Well, kiting essentially is realizing that you're in a bad situation, you're outgunned, which happens a lot for people who are playing cruisers, and uh, anybody who's played a cruiser for a significant amount of time, or even not even a significant amount of time, like one battle or two battles, will realize that this happens frequently. Uh, And essentially what you're going to do is, the basic principles of it is you turn around, you have your guns facing backwards, you angle your armor to the nth degree as hard as you can get it angled, And you start just firing and moving your rudder from side to side to try and get as many shells to either miss or hit your uh, stern at such an extreme angle that they ricochet. And this is easier in some ships than it is in others. For example... Uh, The Buffalo does not generally kite that well under focus fire because A, it has what's called a transom stern. And a transom stern is a flat stern, which means that there's no angle on it, which means any shells that hit it will penetrate. Uh, That is, shells that are capable of penetrating 27mm plating. Uh, And it's also a huge target, which means it's not that hard to hit it. And it doesn't have the greatest armor belts. It's a fairly low armor belt. Actually, it's just at the waterline armor belt, so all you have to penetrate is 27mm of plating to get into the citadel and if you overmatch that it's really easy just to knock the crap out of a buffalo and uh there are some other ships like the Attigo, for say that kite extremely well this is because they have a really fast rudder shift time and you can get it like four three or four seconds if you take both rudder mods i have a five second rudder shift time on my buffalo but it's such a huge target um and it's also uh the atago is also a thin target so it's very hard to hit when it's cutting away and they're very annoying because they just continually stack damage and don't really take it assuming the captain knows how to kite Uh, and generally how are you going to do this well first of all you're going to realize that hey there's more friend or there's more enemies than there are friendlies or there are no friendlies over here and there's all enemies i'm getting focused down you're going to do is you're going to stop shooting you're going to wait the 20 seconds you're going to go undetected you're going to turn around which is easier in some ships than others like the buffalo has a really slow 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 rate of turn um and uh then you're going to turn around and then you're going to go backwards and and uh sail away turn your guns all the way around at an extreme angle and then start shooting again this makes you very hard to, uh, to hit with torpedoes because um, destroyers have to get significantly closer to you in order to make sure that torpedoes hit, especially if you're going at full speed, which is why I recommend kiting at full speed unless you're trying to stall. Um, so let's say, let's pick my eagle for instance. My eagle has a 7 point, or has an 8 kilometer torpedo range, and since I don't have Concealment Expert on it, it has a 7.5 kilometer concealment range. Now, if someone's approaching me, right, uh, let's say I'm sitting in my smoke, right? And someone's, uh, yeah. And by the way, the Eigl French destroyer, the only French destroyer with smoke. Um, I'm sitting in my smoke, right? And someone's approaching me and charging my smoke. I can now launch my torpedoes depending on their speed at around nine kilometers range, because by the time the torpedoes get to their maximum range of eight kilometers, that ship will be significantly closer than eight kilometers because they're traveling towards me. Now, if the ship is stationary, I do need to get within 8 kilometers in order to ensure it hit. Now, if they're moving away from me, the opposite occurs, because if I launch it at 8 kilometers, the torpedoes will never get there, because the ship is sailing away, which means by the time the torpedoes reach their maximum range of 8 kilometers, the ship is probably 11 kilometers or more away. Probably around 15 at this point. Or, well, maybe not 15, probably like 13, 14 kilometers away, which is significantly farther than the 8-kilometer uh, range of the Eigel's torpedoes. Now, this obviously does vary based on how fast your torpedoes are. If you're the Holland torpedoes, the Holland cannot actually vary its range that much. Uh, it can't really launch torpedoes in advance uh, because of uh, the torpe- torpedo speed. It's, what, 86 knots, I think? Your torpedoes will get there so fast, your ship won't, the ship won't have a chance to get in range of your torpedoes. to ensure a hit. Now if you're sailing, or if they're sailing away from you, that's better because the ship won't have as much of a chance to get away from your torpedo range and you'll therefore increase your chance of causing a hit. So that's why it's really good to kite if you're facing a destroyer because they have to get basically within detection range, assuming they're not a shimikaze, uh, in order to launch their torpedoes. Now, uh, battleships have a hard time hitting you because you're a very... Narrow target and they often have fairly decent vertical spread, which means that their ship their uh, shells are not going to spread very far vertically so uh, let's say you're targeting a target at 15 kilometers and The amount of shells that are go 15.1 or 14.9 kilometers are very low But the amount of shells that are going to spread horizontally So to the side if you're aiming at a target 15 kilometers, they might go a hundred meters one way or a hundred meters to the left or to the right that is usually very bad on um battleships i think it's around 300 meters for the north carolina of horizontal dispersion uh it's pretty terrible you pretty much can't get hit a target that is bowing into you that's not a battleship or bow tanking rather that's the official word for it so thin cruisers attigo even the buffalo um they or narrow cruisers rather they are very hard to hit And especially low cruisers, or cruisers that sit low to the waterline, like my Perth, uh, it's uh, it's very hard to hit because it has a low profile for a cruiser, which means that either A, you're going to get over-penetrations, or B, you're just going to miss. Cruisers with a fast rate of turn are hard to hit because they can turn more quickly. And then, obviously, cruisers with good stern armor are usually pretty tough because even if you do hit them it is hard to get a penetration I believe the Petropavlovsk has some very very good armor all the way around obviously it does have that icebreaker bow um, it also has an angled stern so even if you do hit it it has this like really chunky hundred millimeter 180 millimeter plating on the stern and parts of it that will ricochet anything obviously got the 50 millimeters of aft and armor belt there um but you only do have a 25 millimeter stern uh so yeah there's uh there's some some skill to it recognizing that a situation is not favorable for you like if you're in a petropavlovsk you you're not really going to kite away as much than say if you're in an adigo because the petropavlovsk is kind of a battleship it's got some stupidly thick front uh, icebreaker bow it's got a 50 millimeter icebreaker bow now granted that's only a strip in the bow uh you can penetrate a 25 millimeter uh plating on the petropavlovsk in the bow but then then you have to get through the Citadel's thwartship which is 170 millimeters which a lot of cruisers especially at range don't have that penetration Obviously, battleships are not going to have any problem with that. Especially if you're angled, the Petropavlovsk has a stupidly thick armor belt. You've got 50mm all around, 50mm deck, 50mm armor belt plating, and then lower armor belt, it has 180mm plating. So, when angled, this thing is darn near impossible to penetrate. Therefore, you can tank very, very easily, and you're not going to find yourself needing to um, kite as much because you can simply just deal with the damage that's being dished out to you. Now, let's say you have a Japanese cruiser. Let's, let's take, what cruiser should I take? We'll take Miyoko. Or no, Mogami. We'll take the Mogami, for example. Mogami is traditionally a ship that does not tank very well. It's not meant to take well. It's meant to function at range. Um, and it doesn't have very good armor. It only has 25mm plating all around, and it has a pretty much non-existent armor belt. Uh, it has spaced armor, which can get some ricochets and non-penetrations and shatters, but that's only 27 millimeters. So, assuming you can overmatch that, which every 16-inch or 406-millimeter gun can penetrate, or larger can penetrate, I think 15-inch guns do not overmatch it, though. Uh, you have that 100-millimeter armor belt, which really isn't as much as a Petropavlox, and if you're caught broadside, that will be the end of you. So this relies on kiting more. The Mogami, however, has very good concealment. Base concealment is 12.1 kilometers. With Concealment Expert and the concealment uh, modification, I believe you can get that down to sub-10 kilometer concealment, which is very good. So let's say you're pushing a flank, right? You're pushing a flank, and uh, an enemy Bismarck, an enemy Lion, an enemy North Carolina, they show up. So you obviously can't take that. You're only a cruiser, so you know that you're going to delay. You need to just stall them so your team can push through the other flank and hopefully get uh, either the enemy's base or get them in a crossfire. So you're just drawing their attention. You're a diversion. What you're going to do is you're going to go undetected. You're not going to shoot your guns because you're a thinking man, and you're going to turn the ship around. Then you're going to get those turrets turned back towards the target, and you're going to angle as far as you can. Now, the Mogami has some pretty decent firing angles. Actually, some would say it has good firing angles, although that middle turret in the front doesn't have that great of firing angles. Um, and you're going to fire your Japanese ridiculous high explosive, and you're going to burn them down, if they're, assuming they're foolish enough to chase you. If they're chasing you, you could burn them down, and then you can use your qu- or, uh, quadruple of the torpedo tube launchers. Remember, you have four of them, total of 16 torpedoes. And you're going to launch those in the water because remember what I said: ships pursuing you, uh, you have a larger effective torpedo range or longer effective torpedo range. So you dump them in your wake and hope that they hit something. And if they do hit something, you might actually take out one of them or two of them or all of them. And this allows you to successfully delay a f- flank, even maybe win a flank. So your enemy te- or so your friendly team rather, your friendlies can push around the other side and hopefully take a victory. This sure beats trying to push into those battleships and just getting deleted when you show the slightest resemblance of a broadside. Because remember, a cruiser cannot bow tank anything that has larger than 15-inch guns. Actually, the Mogami cannot take anything larger than 14-inch guns because it does only have 25-millimeter bow t- plating. And 25-millimeter bow plating with a 6-millimeter athwart and a 140-millimeter thwartship means that you're not going to be that hard to Citadel. In fact, they only need to penetrate through 40mm of Citadel deck, or 35 rather, and you have a stupid little ledge on your Citadel that allows you that's 100mm thick that allows you to catch most of the shells uh, that battleships fire. So you're really not going to have a fun time. Uh, and then if you're being shot at uh, from the rear, though, you have... For anything 14-inch and under, you have a stern that's non-transom. It is a sloped stern, which means that you'll be able to ricochet what they fire at you if they hit the stern. Now, if they don't hit the stern, you have that spaced armor belt. Now, you'll get penetration damage, but that part of your armor will get saturated so fast because of the damage coming into it, you're not going to have to deal with taking massive amounts of chunk damage anymore. That is why kiting is super effective in something like the Japanese destroy or Japanese cruisers rather now to play the Japanese cruisers correctly it's slightly more or like really really well, I should say not correctly, but really well it's slightly more complicated than that, mostly involves um uh kind of kiting going undetected after like a few salvos, like letting the enemy forget about you and then um uh then coming back in or at least firing again, and then making yourself, visi- or then, uh, making yourself a very annoying uh, threat for the enemy, and then have them shoot at you, only for you to go undetected again. That is the most convenient way to play the Japanese cruisers. They're very annoying, they're very hard to kill, if played correctly. Now, what do you say about the American cruisers? Well, the American cruisers are a bit of a mixed bag when you're kiting, because they tend to be kind of big. Not as big as some of those Soviet, ch- uh, chunky things, but they tend to be a bit on the big side and they tend to have poor armor and they tend to have high freeboards. High freeboard is, um, or at least freeboard is the distance that the main deck is off the, the water and the higher your freeboard, the more target that the enemy has to hit. That's not going to over because they really, other than the bowels or the stern, they're not going to over-penetrate your deck, uh so that's what makes them harder to play because they can't really ricochet much they can only like pretty much all other cruisers they can only bounce 16 inch shells they have 27 millimeter plating or no they can only bounce 15 inch shells. around it they have 27 millimeter plating not 32 millimeters like battleships they have 27 millimeter plating so um they can only ricochet those shells but the biggest issue with these cruisers and kiting with them is their horrific range Uh, The Japanese cruisers usually have around, I think, an 18 to 20-kilometer range around there, depending if you have a spotter equipped. If you can equip a spotter, I'm not really experienced with the Japanese uh, cruisers yet. I wish to be. I think I'm going to go look into maybe getting some, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. The Buffalo, for example, without range mod, and I don't think I have the range mod equipped on my Buffalo. No, I do not, because I have the reload mod equipped, because it has a terrible... Well, second reload. Um, it has a maximum range, I believe, 15.6 kilometers fully upgraded. That is horrible. Literally awful. Um, to put that into context, the Eagle, I believe, has a 12 kilometer firing range. And that is a 12.8 kilometer firing range. And that is a tier six destroyer. This is a tier nine cruiser. So you will often be spotted and getting shot at and blapped from things you either a can't see or b can't do anything about cuz they're outside your maximum range. So that is why you don't equip radar. That is why you equip spotting aircraft. Or at least when you can't you said well this still hasn't addressed um uh how you're going to kite. Well what you're going to do is you're going to get uh or at least as soon as you recognize that your situation is not good, if you stay here you're gonna die. What you're gonna do is you're gonna launch that spotter plane. That spotter plane will give you like a eighteen ish kilometer range, I think it's around there, which is not bad. It's certainly not terrible for uh a tier nine cruiser. And then you're gonna use that to kite at maximum range. And that's gonna last I forget the duration, I should memorize it. That thing will last 100 seconds, so that is uh, that is a minute 40 seconds. So you'll, you'll shoot, you'll shoot, you'll cause fires, you'll do pen damage if you're firing AP at a cruiser, and you'll you'll do some damage. You'll definitely annoy the team, the enemy team, and they'll probably be shooting at you. But as soon as the situation gets hot, like around the one minute 40 mark, if you can survive that long, your spotter plane will land. And remember, you're only visible from your maximum firing range when you're uh, using your main guns. And your maximum firing range just decreased by 3 kilometers. So if you're kiting at maximum range, you'll be undetected. And this is advantageous because when stuff gets hot and you need to like turn around to because you're about to hit the border, your splatter plane lands, you go undetected, and you can sail away. I can't tell you how many times that concept has saved me when I'm playing my Buffalo. Stuff's getting hot, I'm starting to get low on health, I need to get that heal off, or the heal's on cooldown, and my spotter plane lands, and I'm good. I can, I can heal back the damage, or most of the damage, and I can put myself in a better position for success. And they're like, well, Jaden, why did you just sit behind an island the whole time? Well, A, Deadeye exists, or at least for now. And B, B, is that this ship is huge. You can't sit behind it. Good luck trying to find an island you can sit behind with a buffalo and not have your front or, or your bow or stern sticking out somewhere. You can't really. They don't really exist. With the Baltimore, you could find some, especially since the Baltimore is pretty maneuverable, stealthy. You can move around easily. This thing's not maneuverable. It's not really stealthy, and it's huge. So that is something that is basically how you're supposed to kite. And people are like, "Well, you didn't mention the Soviet ships." Well, I kind of did. You don't really kite in Soviet ships. That's because they're so overpowered that or well, I guess they're not so overpowered. They are definitely very very strong, borderline overpowered, um, if not overpowered. Um You don't really need the kite. I mean, even the Alexander Nevsky has some fairly, fairly strong armor. And, I mean, it also has 180mm guns on a light cruiser. But it has that 50mm icebreaker bow on a light cruiser. It doesn't have as good of a stern as the Petropavalex does. And, obviously, it's got a terrible detection range because it's got an armored point that's, like, super high up on the mast. Um, But it has that weird, cheeky, like, stern plate that allows you to ricochet stuff. Um... But you don't really need to kite because you can bow take most things granted it does have the 25 millimeter plating on part of it but good luck trying to citadel this thing when it's angled i would challenge you to try and considering this thing can citadel Bismarck from close range because it's super ridiculous uh penetration i don't think you really need to kite that much and if you do if the situation turns out to be so bad that even an Alexander Nevsky, Dmitry Donskoy, uh, Petropavlovsk, or Riga needs to kite, you, you basically try to go undetected, although good luck doing that in Riga or uh, Petropavlovsk or something. You try to go undetected, and then uh, turn around, get yourself in a better position, uh, angled hopefully more, and then you kite. Just like how I told you. Now, this does get a little bit more tricky with some of the um, British ships. For example, the Goliath. Because the Goliath's armor is kind of crap. And it's a really big target. And it doesn't have that great of concealment. It's got 14-kilometer base concealment. Which, it, yeah, you really, really can't get that down much. It does have ridiculous high-explosive uh Alpha and penetration of fire chance so 24% fire chance although it does have an 18.5 second base reload time So yeah, basically an italian cruiser there, uh, but it's he alpha is 3850 with 12 guns. So yeah, there's an 11k um, It's not uncommon to see glass set multiple fires and do like 11k damage with the high explosive but these things often find themselves in disadvantage or disadvantageous positions when they're kiting, or when they're um, approaching a target. So what they, what you should do, is try and go undetected. Uh, try not to get in the situation where you're so close to the Goliath that you cannot go undetected, and then, um, uh, then start kiting. And since this thing has a kind of, it does have a transom stern, but a very small one at that. Um, it has a 203 mm thick armor belt. And a 30 millimeter, uh plating on the deck, or 40 millimeter plating on the deck, and 30 millimeter plating on the upper uh, armor belt, which means you can ricochet most, uh, most battleship shells, excluding the 18-inch ones, or like the Georgia, the Thunder the Yami, the, or the Yami, the Musashi. Uh, you can't ricochet those, but you're just going to try and dodge. You're going to use your rudder and then, if need be, get a, just get out of range and go undetected. So that is basically the gist of kiting. Uh, Things you shouldn't do, uh, don't ever, 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 ever turn when you could get shot at. Wait for them to blow their um, shells at you, and hopefully they'll ricochet off your belt or your bow, depending on the size of their uh, guns. And then, then turn. Wait for them to be reloaded. Time the reload, complete the turn. And then then you'll be fine. Preferably, you want to be undetected. But don't ever... If I mean, if you can't go undetected, don't ever just turn. That is never, ever, ever, ever a good idea. You'll do more damage by just charging them if you can't turn and and uh, just kind of trying to get as much damage out than turning to cut away and getting deleted. Also... Don't ever go alone in a cruiser, especially with the Deadeye meta. Unless you're a Pavlovsk, don't go alone. I suppose an Alexander Nevsky could probably do it as well. Don't go alone. Goliaths should never be alone. Minotaurs should never be alone. They should at least have some cruiser buddies with them. Uh, and if they can't have some cruiser buddies, like a battleship, or at least a few destroyers to screen them with smoke screens if they need it. Um... But don't ever go alone. That's the biggest thing I see. Just a lone cruiser on a flank. That's not hiding behind an island or already kiting away. Like if you're if you know you're going to be at a disadvantage, get in that kiting position before you're detected. Don't don't just wait and be surprised when you're outnumbered. When you're the only ship on a flank, you're always going to be outnumbered unless they just completely abandon the flank, which is very very rare. Um, you're always going to be outnumbered. So try. And get yourself behind an island, kiting already, before you, they're able to to sight you in and start shooting at you. Those are the biggest mistakes I see. There are, uh, I'm probably forgetting some misca- mistakes that I see. Uh, like, charging the middle and stuff. I mean, like, some of this stuff is pretty obvious, but um, some of it isn't so obvious. It l- like the not timing reloads make sure you're always 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 timing reloads but that is about it for this episode i hope you uh enjoyed it as much as i uh enjoyed making it i hope it helps you out with your kiting and i hope you found the uh Blucher, uh yeah the blooker um part of the episode to be interesting if you have any suggestions for any uh future podcasts like ships to do uh q a or anything please please uh reach out and email me at rank at gmail.com i promise i do not bite and i will try to get um answering your email as soon as possible obviously i've uh i'm pretty busy right now school year's almost out so uh once it's done however i'll be able to get back to you fairly quickly uh, if you like this podcast and you want to share with a friend, please do. I'm really looking for some more listeners here. We're doing so good with, like, a, f- like a few hundred listeners. and uh, Or not a few hundred listeners. Uh, around 100, 120, 150 listeners. And that's kind of gone back down to sub 100. So if you could please tell your friends, your clanmates, people who are interested in naval history or World of Warships or both, please get them uh, to listen to the podcast. I would really, really appreciate it that and if um you're interested i do have merch uh linked below uh check that out and until next time captains